Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Reconciling Grace. We are here as a podcast now. It's not uh, necessarily radio, but we're a podcast. And really, we hope that this is going to be able to reach more people than we did on radio. What we're doing is going to have a time of panel discussion. And let me introduce our panelists right now. My name is Pete Vecchi. I um, am one of the people who is on Faith and Friends Radio. I am on staff at a church. I have been helping another church. Uh, I've just been in ministry for about, what, uh, 21 years now, I guess it's been. Also on our panel is Pastor Mac, P. Mac, Don McDonald. He is from Danforth, Illinois. Don, you've been pastor there at the Reformed Church. How long? Just started my 27th year. 27 years. That is wonderful. And also with us, and who's going to be leading our discussion today, Josh Kugel. Josh, you are the pastor of, and if I try to say it all, I'm going to mess it up. So I'm going to let you <laughs> tell us exactly where you are the pastor and then let you go on and introduce our topic today. I'm the pastor at uh, First Baptist Church of Lyman in Gulfport, Mississippi, um, way down south, close to the beach. Um, you know, good part of the country. So. Tough job, but somebody's got to do it. You I know guess. what? You just had to say close to the beach, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's 20 minutes. I mean, it's not on the beach, but you know. Um, hey, so uh, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity just to talk about this. And one of the beautiful things of doing a podcast like this is we get to talk about things that we're also interested in. And hopefully that we might have a little bit of insight in for uh, somebody that may be listening, just being people that have been in and are in uh, ministry where, you know, um, we're pastors and, and, and staff people and all. And so um, I wanted to talk about today why pastors quit or why pastors are removed, why pastors fail, why pastors fall. And this is kind of a, we'll, we'll talk about it in two parts, but this morning, I want to introduce, first of all, a problem, and then we'll talk about that problem. But this problem is from Scripture. Um, Paul is with a guy named Demas, and in 2 Timothy 4.10, this is what the Scripture says, Demas has deserted, deserted me, this is what Paul says, because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. So the problem comes up, Demas left Paul, and we're left to fill in blanks. And most of the time I've heard this passage discussed, the blanks have been filled in. Demas left the faith. Demas had a moral failing. Demas decided to walk away from Jesus and all that kind of stuff. But I think that's reading into the text. I think we want to read it that way. It says that he left Paul, not that he left the faith. It says he left Paul. And then it says he loved the things of this life, or another translation may say, or this world, and we jump to conclusions on that. But what if it's just that he didn't like being on the run all the time and being stoned left and right? And he wanted to raise a family and he didn't walk away from the faith. He walked away from the, the difficulties of the job. And so I, I just wonder what I wanted. To, what if he was burned out? I mean, how many of us as pastors have been burned out? Um, what if he was tired of fighting about the color of the carpets in every new place that he ran to, you know? 
Um, I, I don't know, but why, I, I just want to ask you guys really quick, why do we, when we read this, why do we so often read it as either a moral failing or him reading, leaving the faith? Why, what's, what, why do we jump to that conclusion? I think we tend to because we've been so inundated with negatives of why things happen, you know, and, and it feels like, yeah, oh, they're leaving ministry because of, and we tend to go to the first negative thought rather than they're just tired or they're, you know, when I was a Christian education chairperson for our classes, a lot of the ministers would talk about burnout and how that would equate <clears throat> to moral failing rather than just being tired, you're, you're morally failing because you're burned out. It, it mm. seems to, they seem to dance it together for some odd reason. Sure. Sure. Maybe Paul has a little bit interesting perspective because this wouldn't be the first time that somebody left the mission field that he was on. Remember John Mark? Yeah. You know? And uh, in fact, John Mark's leaving, it said later caused such a sharp dispute in the book of Acts between Paul and Barnabas, because Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark on another journey. And, and Paul basically said, no way. Sure. And, um, you know, Paul, I think, has this maybe reputation as he doesn't care about these guys. But, you know, maybe Paul was just so focused on the mission. Yeah, I get the feeling that Paul may have been hard to work with. Yeah, yeah. it could be. He was yeah. just a very focused guy, very, yeah. very mission oriented, very uh, task oriented, I guess, is the sure. basic way I'm looking at it. Sure. So, so let's take it from there then. First kind of series of questions I wanted to ask you guys and we'll talk about is not every pastor that quits has a moral failing. We, we all understand that. We've been in the ministry. We've seen that plenty of times. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would jump to say that most pastors that quit are not quitting because of a moral failing. Um, not because they're leaving the faith or not because they had an affair or anything like that. I, I, I would venture to say that at least from my experience, most will cite things like frustrations with the way the churches run, frustrations with, with money sometimes, um, because, you know, a lot of pastors will live on, um, I think the average pastor lives on just above the poverty level. Yeah. Um, so um, some will, will, will cite frustration with changing politics. I hear that a lot lately. Um, some will cite frustration with church members. Um, many will cite burnout. Some will cite lack of support or lack of friends. Um, some will, will cite that the church is focused on things that I just don't feel like I can lead them into. So we'll talk about that. So let me just ask you, have you ever been close to quitting professional ministry? And uh, Pete, I know too, you've been, you were a pastor for years. I know you're not a pastor now, but even in that role or in any role with staff, have you ever been close to just saying I'm done? And, and if, if, if you were close to doing that, why didn't you do it? And if you have never been close to doing that, why is that? Well, I, I read these questions a little bit ago, and I've been thinking through it. And I, I really want to say after every board meeting, I uh, wanted to leave. No, but that was more of a joke. Um, you know, no, there were some very good board meetings. But um, basically, I think that every pastor goes through ups and downs. You know, we can't always be on top of everything. We can't always be on the top of our game. We, we can get frustrated with people. We can get frustrated with circumstances. Um, all kinds of things can happen. But the bottom line for me was every time I would see that there's not really seeming to be a way forward in a congregation, it was like the Lord would do something to encourage me to say, we're not done yet. 
So did I ever think of leaving um, a certain assignment, a pastorate? Sure. Um, you know, I think that if I didn't say truthfully, there were times when I was a pastor when another church would call and ask me to interview someplace. Well, you know, that's because I'm trying to see is God opening a door or not. Mm -hmm. um, and if I would be lying, if I didn't say, gosh, I was kind of bumming when they didn't call because I would have, you know, liked to ha have a new, a new start somewhere. But, you know, it, everyday life is frustrating, isn't it, guys? Yeah. Yeah. I think in my 27 years here, Josh, um, there's about three or four places where it wasn't so much the church as it was the denomination that what was going on. Yeah. And, and there were days where I was like, man, I think it's getting near that time. And then I'd feel the prodding of the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, but you know, you're here to run a race. You yeah. know, it's not going to be easy. And you know, my, my text of choice is, has always been built around James one, consider it pure joy when you face trials of any kind, you know, because in the joy, you begin to learn who you are in, in the father uh, in and through Jesus Christ. And so, you know, my 27 years here, there's about three or four places where I almost said, yeah, it's getting near that time. And I'm so glad I stayed in it, you know, and, and a lot of it was, figuring out who I am though, you know, yeah, when, yeah. when you go through that season and there are seasons of it, if we're really honest as ministers, if you use it the right way, you'll come out better. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I was blessed to have good mentors around me that I could, you know, haul up and sort of say, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm experiencing. And they'd say, well, you know, Don, let's be real. You're going through a hard season. You know, it was around the time my dad died quite unexpectedly. And, you know, and, and it was sort of like, no, you're, you're called to be here, live through the season and see where God takes you, you know? So, you know, that's sort of how I've stayed in it all these years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'd be lying if I said, I've never considered quitting. <laughs> um, and I, I, uh, you know, before I was in ministry, I was a, I was a web architect and I did that and I loved doing it. And I felt like when God called me out of that into ministry that he had some really big kind of great big plans for me. And because that's the way I go into, and that's what I expect. Every time I seem to run into a insurmountable wall, um, I just feel like, you know, I could do something else, <laughs> but uh, I got to remember um, that I'm not here for all the, just for only the big things that I feel like I'm called to. There's this whole part of ministry that, that, uh, you know, it's, is is just the day to day and the week to week and, and working with people and all too. But let me ask you this. How do you look at pastors who quit? And I'm not talking those that quit because of moral failings. I'm, I'm just talking, I, I've been burned out. I've gone through, I, I bet I've gone through about a year straight of just being burned out, not wanting to do the next thing and just making myself do it. Um, I think that's why they recommend for pastors every seven years, you should take a good, good time sabbatical and all, but um, guy quits. I, I know some recently, some, some friends of mine who have walked away from positions and got secular employment. How, how do you look at those guys? I, I found, go ahead, go ahead, Don. Okay. I found, you know, the first church I served with that minister ended up walking away from ministry. And the one thing he told me as he was walking away is he says, Don, you need to be certain 
of your call and your vision for ministry. And he sort of told me he got so burned out on the whole trying to figure out vision and call that I, I appreciated his honesty. I appreciated mm. why he walked away because what he was teaching me as a young pastor coming in is make sure you have a clear vision of who you are. Sure. Um, sure. And, and he didn't see it as anything negative. He saw it as the Lord used him for a season, good old Ecclesiastes mm. 3. That's good. And it was time for something different. And so yeah. I, that's the way I saw it too. Yeah. I, I was about to say something like that, Don, because um, when you talked about for a season, is it really a God thing or is it a human thing that we have decided that everybody who is called to lead in a church in a ministry position is automatically called for life? You know, yeah. Yeah. I am, I am thinking about the fact that when I was ordained, one of the things that the general superintendent who ordained our class of, I think it was five people said to us was that God sees something in each of you that he wants to use for this time in human history. Hmm. And who's to say how long that is, you know, maybe it don't, was a year. Don't we, maybe expect, it was... don't we expect people to retire from this though? Sometimes, but again, is that a, is that a human thing or is that a God yeah, I thing? Agree. I think that's a good way to look at it. So, so then, then the question would be, how do you think lay people see them? And we, we, we've experienced the way a church looks at a pastor who, who quits and goes and do something else too. Is it hard not to see them as a failure? Um, especially when you're a lay person, you're looking and you don't know all the details. You've never been in professional ministry. You don't know all this and you're trying to fill in blanks. Do you, do you find that people see that as a failure or do you find that people are understanding of that or? I don't know. Um, you know, I, I want to take a step back, Josh, and just say, I find it interesting because having, you know, pastored as lead pastor, two different churches for a total of 12 years, I, I want people who are listening to this to understand, I didn't walk away. I was mm -hmm. put into a couple of circumstances where the, the church where I pastored first, I was there, like, I think less than a month short of nine years which in the church's 65-year history was the longest anybody had stayed. Yeah, and in and, dog years, which is what pastor's time frame goes in, that's a long time. Yeah, and, and what happened was the church was a small church in a community that had one of the largest churches of that denomination in the district. Yeah. And so it was almost as though that church was there for a time and for a season, and by golly, we did everything we could to keep it going, and bottom line was we ran out of funds two years before the church closed. We had the best year that I think that church had ever had. We had baptisms. We had people who had been living together, getting married. We had all kinds of great stuff going on. But the bottom line was we had a, a new church as far as the, the, the people who were members and they weren't mature members and they weren't people who had you know, been able to keep up tithing and stuff. Sure. And from there, our district assigned me to a church that was already in crisis. Yeah. Well, that church closed. And I want to tell you, here's why I'm taking that step back. I'm, you asked the question about how do people look at you? I find it really interesting when I go to things like our district assembly now, I'm kind of looked at that guy who used to be a pastor. Yeah. Instead of a, instead of a, a hero, that put so many years into um, into working with difficult churches, and we should all be kind of thankful that somebody stepped into that role. That that's kind of a backwards way to look at it, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, hmm. I think the the frustrating part 
I moderated two vacant churches and, and sometimes the congregation will say, how did we let the preacher down? Mm. Yeah. You know, that they, they, they introvert to, you know, especially if, you know, like Pete, the, the one church I moderated for about three and a half years, they had a history of just going through preachers every five to seven years and sometimes it was like, it's something we're doing, you know? So sometimes they take a hard look at themselves. Sure. And then I have to raise the flag and say, yeah, but your preacher wasn't perfect in these areas. And therefore this is what we need to work on. And, and I think, you know, when laity gets a proper perspective that preachers are human and we're going to make mistakes and it's not going to be perfect. Sure. It really helps out the relationship. Let, let me ask you this. Should, should we expect when, when if, if I were a lay person, what, what should I expect when we hired a new, a new pastor on pastoral longevity on, on that kind of thing? Cause I, I, we've all seen statistics on how long a pastor stays and all that. What, what should be the expectation? Well, we want a 30 year old with 40 years of experience. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that might stay five years. <laughs> I, at, at, at the place where I'm at right now, every once in a while, I have somebody stay, you know, I hope, I hope you stay for uh, X amount of years because there seems to have been a trend, um, you know, of just staying so many. Yeah. Um, and, and it's almost like the expectation is that I'll be like every pastor that went before me. And, 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 and well, in the reform church, Josh, when I first came in about 30 years ago, the average stay was seven years and mm -hmm. now it's down to five. So it's, it's sort of like they, if you're really into the hubbub of, of the reformed church, you're thinking, well, if we get five out of this guy, we're doing pretty good. Yeah. 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 Um, some new data is showing, and it's not new to right now, but it's new to the pandemic and from early on and then, and then it's continuing a little bit, but it's really common for pastors to consider finding a new career. Um, and, and the pandemic has made this much, much worse. Do you think if people knew that pastors struggle with leaving, because I, I do, I, I've talked to pastors over the year that said almost every Sunday night after I talk to a certain person or after I get a response from a message, um, um, I feel like quitting or actually they'll say, um, and then there are some times in the week that they feel like I could be here forever. And, uh, you know, so it kind of just be, is this daily struggle that people have, but um do you think if people knew that pastors struggled so much with leaving, with whether they should leave, with whether they've overstayed, those kind of things, would it hurt their relationship with their church members? Oh, it's such a fine line to balance, Josh. I mean, you know, talking about the pastors who feel like they want to resign, I, I used to hear it all the time um, from pastors during meetings, I've never resign on a Monday. You know, that was the, yeah, that was always yeah. the way that it went. But yeah. um <clears throat> I think that anybody has to walk a very fine line, whether it's in ministry or not. I mean, do you want to be the person who's known as the whiner, the complainer? You know, I'm just having this rough time all the time. The it, It's almost like there was a term that I heard. I think Dr. Dobson used it a long time ago. It was called a joy sucker, the person who sucks the joy out of the room who walks every time they walk in. And if I'm going to be yeah. the pastor who goes, oh, man, I'm having such a rough time right now. And it's like that, you know, 30 weeks out of the year. I don't think that's going to be helpful to the congregation. I, I think sometimes you do have to man up and just suck it up and <laughs> realize that not everybody likes their job every day. Um, 
I think, though, you know, to counter that, though, a little bit, I think it's important that the pastor have a place where he can vent it, though. Oh, absolutely. That he has that. Um, you know, I, I've been blessed over the years, uh, a lecture I heard at Trinity doing, uh, pastoral duties is make sure you have a Paul, a Timothy and a Barnabas in your life. Make sure you have someone who is older than you make sure you have one that's equal to you. Make sure you have, you know, and that you hear all those voices and, and, and the best, um, support I got and recommendation from one preacher that was extremely old was, please remember, because I asked him, how have you stayed in ministry 40, 50 years? He says, you need to remember there are seasons in ministry that you have to live through and that you have to have people around you to carry you. Sure. You know, we've all preached that sermon of the battles going on with Aaron and each side, each, everyone got on each arm and lifted up the arm to give strength on the battle. You know, yeah. we need that. Sure. And I think that's, you know, I won't lie. Sure. I've thought about a different career and all the above, but I, I found myself saying, you know, but the battle is the Lord get back in there. And I was lucky to have the right people around me sure. to keep, keep that. And I had, and I miss them dearly. I, I, I lost two dear saints, both to cancer, ironically, who were both my cheerleaders, my mentors and my coach. And sometimes my umpire, because I'd want to go into battle against someone and they would haul me aside. Now, wait a minute. We don't need you doing Braveheart and lifting your kilt. We got to have a talk, you know, and, and I think, you know, you, you got to have an intentionality about that. If you're going to stay in ministry long. Sure. I agree. I agree. Let me, let me ask you this. Cause a lot of times people will joke about this and they, they mean it in a lighthearted way, but you can tell it's not really lighthearted. It comes from a place of hurt or a place of, missed expectation or something, but people will say, you know, he did so well here that um, he felt called by God to go to a church that was bigger, <laughs> or he felt called by God to go to a church that paid more or something like that. And so I, I just want to look at that realistically. Is there ever a case where a pastor may feel called to go to somewhere and it isn't just the, the ministry opportunity, but it's also that provide for his family in a better way or um, the situation or because of less quarrelsome church members, um, is that something a pastor should feel bad about um, considering those things when they maybe feel called by God to be at a certain church, but they also see that the, gra the grass could be a much greener <laughs> you know, at, a, at, a, at another church down the road or something. What, how, how do we handle that? Well, one of the things I, I hate doing this, I hate asking a question with a question, yeah. but uh, or answering a question with a question. But uh, I had a pastor early on in my, in, in fact, shortly before I was called to ministry, he said, you know, my opinion is that God calls people where they want to go. He says, otherwise, you would have a lot fewer people asking to pastor in Florida and a lot more people asking to pastor in New Hampshire or something <laughs> like that, you know, and uh, there's nothing wrong with New Hampshire for the record. But the point is, it seems like everybody wants to go to popular sure. spots. Sure. So I think that there's some of all of that in there. You know, one of the things that I did, and maybe this is a little off topic, but one of the things that that I've kind of had, I don't want to use it, use the word an understanding with the Lord, you know, like I'm, you know, Mr. Buddy, buddy with God here, but you know, yeah, he is, he's my Lord. He's my, my father, my savior. And one of the things that I've always asked him when I'm considering a change or considering um, any position in ministry is that 
he not only called me to be a minister, but he also called me to be a husband. He called me to be a father, a yeah. grandfather, and yeah. that I would ask him that if he wants me to do something and he lays something upon my heart, that he will also confirm it through my wife. Sure, sure. That's good. That's good. Um, so it, it's been said that about 1,700 pastors quit every month, but this is from what I, I did some research because I saw that number a couple places and I saw somebody that really looked into the details and it was LifeWay statistics and everything. And they said the actual number is probably more like around 250 to 300 pastors quit a month, which is not as scary as, you know, 1700s, but it's still kind of common for a pastor to quit a, a position they have. And so I, I just want to ask you, we'll, we're going to look at it a little bit from the, the, the other way around. I want to talk about calling. Most lay people, I think, and I think pastors probably do too, but we, we can see behind the curtain a little bit, but most lay people want to think that a pastor is called by God to their church. And that's the ideal. And that it's completely a spiritual decision. You know, it, it, it has nothing to do with any of the details or anything like that, but God has just revealed that that's why, you know, this is the place you're going to be and all this kind of stuff. So I'm going to ask, what were the main reasons you responded to the call to the churches you've pastored? I know that God is going to be, and, and God's calling is going to be right up there, but did you also see other things? Were, were there things with your family? I know, Pete, you were just talking about family. Did you consider the size? Um, did you consider the salary? Were, were any of those considered when you were looking at uh, responding to a call of a church? Well, if you're asking me... Um... I just don't want to keep talking here. Don hasn't had a chance to talk much, but I'll go ahead and, and I'll, I'll answer first since you asked me. Um, when I went to the first church I pastored, I was coming from being an evangelist. And as an evangelist, I was supposed to be holding certain number of revivals per year, or actually I was supposed to have so many Sundays scheduled per year to be considered full-time in evangelism. Well, that included things like pulpit supply, uh, that kind of stuff. So I was doing that, but I was kind of in a in a transitional period in the church where the week-long revival or the five-night revival was kind of going by the wayside. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a family at the time. My kids were, two of my kids were still school age. The other one was um, just graduated from high school. Um, and it was getting to the point where nothing was opening up in evangelism. And I just said, Lord, you know, what's going on here? And so when my district superintendent called me, um, I was literally on the way to a revival in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And he calls me from Dayton or Cincinnati to say, hey, uh, we have this church out here who'd like to interview you as their pastor. It's kind of like, well, I'm not going to try to close a door that God wants to open. So I didn't necessarily look at it as, hey, here's more salary, more way to be able to provide for my family. But I wasn't bothered that I had a regular income, even though it was only a part-time income. Sure, sure, sure. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> my call to Danforth was unique um, because when I was removed from being a youth pastor in Mount Greenwood, I was a wee bit angry 
And because I was bearing fruit, great things were happening there, but their new senior pastor was like, no, we want to go in a totally different direction. So I was released. So I, I had a little bit of hostility. Well, the first time I interviewed at Danforth Reform Church, they turned me down. And part of it was, according to my beloved, I need to stop being angry. Mm. So then um, I was blessed that I received uh, a call to continue in youth work, Christian ed work, pastoral care work in a church on the south side of Chicago. And I was there about a year and I could tell things just weren't jiving with the church. It was under great stress. We were having long board meetings. And the senior pastor was getting ready to retire. And he had pastored a rural church in Iowa. And he was like, I am not going to preach in a rural church. You're going, Don. Well, guess what the rural church was? Danforth Church. <laughs> I'm like, I am not going to Danforth. And Brooke says, well, then what are you going to do? Because then that vacant, that pulpit's going to be vacant because I ain't going. And he would not go. He was stubborn, yeah. that man. Yeah. The next thing I know, I'm back down at Danforth a second time. Yeah. And we looked at each other. They had gone through a student pastor. It hadn't gone well. And I had been through my stuff at this other church. And the next thing we know, we're both licking wounds. And we end up being together and it yeah. was like this thing of grace and so we always say church and pastor together our coming together was because of grace yeah and because of the need of the gospel and yeah. you know when you ask about it you know what was my internal call my internal call was i felt god saying it was time to go in that direction external call was i got the call and great things started to happen real quick at danforth when i got here Good. Good. And let me say that when I was at that church where I, I got called, I had to make a decision. Is this where I have to, where I'm supposed to go? And it was as though there was something within me who I believe is the Holy Spirit just basically saying, you cannot say no here. Yeah. You cannot. Yeah. You have yeah. to go. You feel it. Because I had two calls. I went next to Midway Airport, Chicago and the country. So talk about extreme calls. That's good. And, and it was like, okay, this is where you need to go. This is where you're called to God. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm going to be the, the, the one that, uh, you know, looks completely worldly compared to you guys. Um, I, <laughs> well, you I have five kids. I, I have five kids and, and I have a, a, a spouse who has, has homeschooled for most of it. And so uh, if a church would ever call me, there are some things I can tell right away that I know that they can't support my family. Yeah. Um, and, and I hate to even say that because I want it to be a spiritual thing and I want it to be a godly thing. But I, I also believe that God's called me to be a dad and a husband before yeah. he's called me to be a, a pastor. And so there are some things that I always have to consider before I even look at, you know, because it could put my family in turmoil and make us super stressed out and anxious in order to go to a specific church. And, and God's always provided and he always does. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up. We're going to move on because I know we're running out of time, but uh, uh, really quick together. Um, I know that many of us have gone to a church or, or, or many pastors go to a church and we find out things are not what we were told um, because they're trying to sell you on coming. And a pastor search committee, a board, whoever it is, 
their job they feel is to get the best pastor there. And so they'll tell them, Oh yeah, our youth, we run a hundred every Wednesday. Um, our, our income last year was, you know, $200 million and, you know, all this stuff. And I, I'm obviously exaggerating a little bit, but um, what are the most disappointing things to find out about a new church when you go to it? That it's just like every other church where people are human. Yeah. 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 Cause you, sometimes you leave, something that you think is a destructive environment and you go to something that you find out is just another another my, environment. My, my call at Danforth was unique because I already knew it was a church in conflict and I, I, I came into a church that was thoroughly in spiritual warfare. Mm. I didn't come in. They were not dressed beautiful for me. They, they were, you know, and I, I specialize in crisis counseling. I specialize in crisis intervention. So my first two years at Danforth, all I was doing was crisis work. Yeah. Uh, the, the leadership of classes said that I probably would fail at this church in two years and then they'd close it. Wow. That was the support I got. And, uh, you know, they didn't count on the giftedness of me to be willing to take the beating to yeah. get her turned around. That's good. So it's, it's, you know, my, maybe also evidence that you were actually called there too. Oh, preacher, bro. Oh yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Pete did my installation service. He sang for my installation service. So he, he knows a little bit of that beginning. So, yeah. Yep. I still remember the two different clans that there were. <laughs> hey, I'm going to, um, I know we're running out of time. I'm going to do this. This will be our lightning round. So, uh, okay, get ready. Quick, quick, quick answers. All right. I've heard I've heard pastors say that they feel like they don't have genuine friends because of their position. Now, just to explain it really, really quick. As a pastor, I feel like my role is to is to get people into church, to to manage relationships, to create an environment where kids are groomed for faith, where teens are excited, where adults have discipleship opportunities and everything. And so it's hard for me then to open up to somebody if I know that they may leave or they may not be excited about the programs in the church or they might not trust my position or something like that. Um, and so I've heard that people, that a lot of pastors say that they don't feel like they have genuine friends because of that. H have you felt like that? I think, Within my, the I think mine is more built around what I know because in a lot of ways I become a priest and a confessional. Sometimes you end up knowing too much and so you find yourself sort of saying, okay, I got to back off because I'm not supposed to know all this. And that creates an island of the isolation they have yeah. been working through. And that's where having outside voices is so important with, you know, other RCA pastors over the years. Sure. I've had some good ones to work with. Yeah. yeah. That's along the lines of what I was going to say is I, I try not to get too close to the people in my congregation um, because what happens when God does call you someplace else, one of the problems that I've had, I don't want to even say the word problems, one of the issues that has come up, it's been a blessing in some ways, is that after the church, in each case, the church is closed, and years later, people come back, they never got established another church, and they're still calling me pastor, and they're they're wanting me to come in and do these things, which I, I'm, I'm humbled and honored to do, but I, I find that my 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 support system has to almost be outside of the church, even outside of the denomination. Yeah. Real quick. And just for some honesty, how often do you feel burnout? You mean like right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
I, I get, I get frustrated and I get uh, uh, this again quite a bit. Yeah. Um, well, especially with COVID going on right now, I mean, you know, we're, we're coming in Illinois, we're finally loosening up a lot of restrictions, but this has been bad though. I, it's been, I mean, so, so difficult. And, yeah. you know, my, my people, we had leftover desserts and next thing I know, we're having coffee in the basement. We haven't totally approved having coffee in the basement. So I don't know if I'm going to be loved at my next council meeting or, you know, <laughs> if you see a mushroom cloud over towards the east and, and the north, Maybe, you'll know yeah. what happened, gentlemen. What, what about um, what about unfairly criticized? We don't have time to go into all that right now for me. I have some great <laughs> stories, but <laughs> I, I think people can probably put uh, put things together, you know, um, I, I've been criticized for some of the goofiest things and, and they just, you know, and there are people that there, there are people that I, I don't want to, I, I, I never want to present it. Like I've been surrounded by some of the most godly, wonderful people throughout my ministry. I don't want to, yeah. but, but sometimes I've been criticized by people that, that claim a sense of spirituality and morality. And then they criticize the, the, the dumbest thing that is just blatantly against scripture. Um, and, and just as, I don't know. Um, and so that, that gets frustrating, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, last thing, how many pastors do you think neglect a, a personal spiritual life in order to take care of the spiritual life of their church? Mm. I saw this question when you gave us the notes and it's like, I wish I could talk for 10 minutes on it. I can't. Um, let, let me answer it this way. I think that there are different ways of experiencing that spiritual life. And I think there are a lot of people who don't follow what the traditional ways of keeping a spiritual life are. And they feel guilty if they don't. Like you have to get up early. You have to read scripture for this much time. You have to pray for this much time. You have to do this. You know, you have to have your family devotions. Uh, you know, how many of those things may or may not work in each person's life? You know, I'm a night owl. Getting up early is not going to work well for me. And, you know, things like that. So I don't know if pastors have neglected it. I just think that maybe there are some who who do. I'm sure there are who do. There are those who do. You do. Think, um, do you think pastors often miss, uh, mistake their time of preparing a sermon and things like that as a personal spiritual life or growth kind of thing or or is it valid to do that i think it's both and honestly a lot of times sometimes the church needs to hear something but sometimes when i'm preparing a sermon it's like wow i really need to hear this myself yeah okay hey in uh in closing um there's way more that we should be talking about and all and we could talk probably for hours on this i know um but we're going to end here I think it's fair to say that we need to pray for pastors. Um, and, and especially, you know, as we have an opportunity just to talk to people about what it's like to be a pastor, and we're obviously not even going into just even the scratching the surface. But if you were to say in one sentence, what specifically would you ask that a church member, yours or somebody else's who may have a pastor in a similar position to you, what specifically would you ask that a church member would pray for their pastor? One sentence. <clears throat> I would pray for my pastor to be able to discern and have confidence that he is doing or she is doing God's will. Mm, that's good. That's good. 
Yeah, it's my turn to say what Pete said. You know, I just, I, I'm, I was a state clerk of our classes. And what I used to do when I was state clerk is I'd call each pastor and just say, hey, we're here. Yeah. So it's not, I, you know, when, when I look at that question, it was part of, yes, prayer is important. But when was the last time you reached out to a fellow pastor say, hey, I see you're hurting. What's going yeah. on? You know, I just yeah. did that this last week. I could tell one of my compadres was hurting and I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. You know, how can I pray for you? Yeah. So I, I got to say, I think we're in probably the most difficult time to be a pastor in the last hundred or so years. I don't think people recognize that um, I, I it, for so many reasons. But I think one of the things that I would ask that people would pray for is that they're there is something along the lines of what Pete said is that their pastor would feel a sense of a, a, a understanding about what God's call for his ministry is rather than what the church's desire for his ministry would be. Yeah. Um, that, that God would speak clearer than the other voices in his life. Um, Good. I like that. Yep. So, Amen. Yeah. All right, Pete, you're going to take us out. Sure. Well, it's been uh, our privilege to be here for, uh, an episode of Reconciling Grace. I hope that uh, people who are listening to this will be edified and um, be sure to log on again for another episode and we'll hopefully see you next time. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace. Reconciling Grace.